Good morning, everyone. It's good to be in God's house. It's good to be with you today. I come from sunny Florida. When I left this morning, or actually yesterday morning, it was about 87 degrees, and that was at 6.30 in the morning. Yes. They were headed for 90-something. <laughs> but it's nice to be up here where the air is a little cooler and a little more refreshing. We're looking forward to this weather in Florida, actually. Uh, a couple of things before I get started here. I want to thank Pastor Deal and the pastoral staff for allowing me to come, giving me the opportunity to come and share with you today. And a couple things that I'd just like to share. I uh, also want to welcome all the online viewers. We're hoping to see you again in church soon. But uh, in case you are online and you would like to get a little more information about me, I do have a website. It's called RevC.org. And you can get that uh, just by going to that website, revc.org. And if you want to send me an email, you can send it to revc at revc.org. Make it real easy. But um, if you want to get a, a chance to read some of our newsletters and see what's going on, I do a, a newsletter every month. Uh, usually it's colorful, has some pictures and a challenge and tells you a little bit about what's going on in the mission field. Uh, just a couple of months ago, we celebrated, because uh, I do Bible schools, I help train pastors and Christian leaders in mostly third world countries around the world, started doing so full-time 20-some years ago. At that time, believing God to maybe have three or four Bible schools by the time I got to the age I am now, which is 73, and thinking that I could retire and just enjoy teaching. But God always does more. And now we're in 20-some countries, 70-some Bible school locations, about 1,400 students in the program right now, and a couple of months ago, we passed the 4,000 graduates mark. Can you say praise the Lord? Thank you, Jesus. And our Bible school is now online, so if you're interested in earning a two-year associate of Bible school degree that's accredited here in the United States... You can do it online at your own pace in the privacy of your own home, and it's very inexpensive compared to other Bible schools around this nation that usually charge $100 a credit hour. Ours is $30 a credit hour, and it's not because it's not a good program. There's been thousands upon thousands of hours that have gone into the program. You basically read a lesson. And you take notes, and then you answer a five or six question quiz at the end, and then you move on to the next lesson. And you work your way through the 68 credits that are a part of the full program, and you can earn a two-year associate of Bible school degree. Amen? And uh, so we are uh, very close to having it also available in Spanish and French. So um, please pray with us that God will help us to do that. I'm praying that we get it done by the end of this year. But we're close. Um, let's see, what else do I have here? Oh, I want to pray. Let's pray, and then I'll share. Father, we thank you for the opportunity that's ours to come and share your word and to challenge folks to do more for your kingdom. So, Lord, I ask you help me to decrease. Let your presence, Holy Spirit, increase. I pray you give us ears to hear and a heart to receive what your spirit would want to say to us today. And I ask it in that name that is above every other name, the name of Jesus. Amen. Each of the four Gospels, I'm going to talk about the alabaster box. 
Each of the four Gospels shares a story about women who have come uh, to the feet of Jesus and anointed him with perfume or fragrant oil. There are differences in the four records, but three of them, with very little doubt, seem to be talking about the same circumstance and, and same situation. But one of them is a little different, and that one's the one that's found in the book of Luke. But the ones that are the same seem to have taken place in Bethany just a few days before the crucifixion of Jesus. The fourth one, we think, or at least I think, was, took place somewhere else, and perhaps even another woman, a different woman, was involved. And we're going to look at some of the comparisons and some of the differences. Let's look now to Mark chapter 14. If you have your Bibles, whether they're electronic or you actually have a Bible with you, or if you're at home, I invite you to turn to Mark chapter 14. I'm going to begin reading uh, from verse 1 through verse 11, and I'm going to be reading from the New King James Version. <clears throat> After two days, it was the Passover and the Feast of Unleavened Bread. And the chief priest and the scribes sought how they might take him by trickery and put him to death. But they said, not during the feast, lest there be an uproar of the people. And being in Bethany at the house of Simon the leper, as he sat at the table, a woman came having an alabaster box or flask of every very costly oil of spikenard. Then she broke the flask and poured it on his head. But there were some who were indignant among themselves and said, Why was this fragrant oil wasted? For it might have been sold for more than 300 denarii and given to the poor. And they criticized her sharply. But Jesus said, Let her alone. <coughs> Excuse me. Why do you trouble her? She has done a good work for me. For you have the poor with you always. And whenever you wish, you may do them good. But me, you do not have always. She has done what she could. She has come before to anoint my body for burial. Assuredly, I say unto you, wherever this gospel is preached in the whole world, what this woman has done will always will also be told as a memorial to her. Then Judas Iscariot one of the twelve, went to the chief priest to betray him to them. And when they heard it, they were glad and promised to give him money. So he sought how he might conveniently betray him. In looking at these three similar situations, the other two are found in the book of Matthew chapter 26 and John chapter 12. But when we see in these, we put those three together, there are certain facts that come together and I want to share those with you. The first one is, the location was in Bethany, at the home of Simon the leper, and only a few days prior to the crucifixion of Christ. Now, we don't really know very much about Simon the leper. Evidently, he was someone that Jesus must have healed. Secondly, we see that Simon, Jesus, Lazarus, whom Jesus raised from the dead, Mary and Martha, the sisters of Lazarus, along with the disciples, including Judas, and others were present. And John tells us that the others came to see whether or not Lazarus was truly raised from the dead. Thirdly, Mary, according to John's account, takes an alabaster box or flask filled with an expensive spikenard perfume 
Now, this perfume comes from the foothills of the Himalayan mountains from a small flower that's grown in India. And so it was very expensive to have imported. And she breaks this box or flax open and anoints Jesus' head. In John's record, he adds that she also anointed his feet and wiped his feet with her hair. It is estimated that this perfume or oil would have been least worth a year's labor or wages working 12-hour days. Very expensive perfume. How many of you ladies have a bottle of perfume that costs that much? None of us, I doubt. That's right. I know my wife doesn't. (laughs) Um, Okay, number four. The odor of the perfume from the broken container fills the house. And almost immediately, Judas, along with others, voiced their indignation that it was not sold and the money given to the poor. Now, John adds in his account that the real motive of Judas was not to give the money to the poor because he really had no care for the poor. He wanted control of the money. Fifthly, we see that Jesus defends Mary, her action, and tells the disciples to let her alone, for she has done a good work for him by anointing him for his burial. You see, Mary was the only one in the room who seemed to really realize that her time with Jesus was almost over, and she did what she could. And lastly here, Jesus goes on to memorialize her act, saying that wherever the gospel, the good news is preached throughout the world, this story of what she had done would be told. And my sharing it today is just another confirmation of what Jesus said. Now let's turn to the book of Luke and let's look at the other account that I think is different. It's a similar incident, but not the same. Luke chapter 7 Verses 36 through 50, and again, I'm reading from the New King James Version. It says, Then one of the Pharisees asked him to eat with him. And he went to the Pharisee's home and sat down to eat. And behold, a woman in the city who was a sinner, when she knew that Jesus sat at the table in the Pharisee's house, brought an alabaster box or flask of fragrant oil, and stood at his feet behind him weeping, And she began to wash his feet with her tears and wiped them with the hair of her head. And she kissed his feet and anointed him with the fragrant oil. Now when the Pharisees who had invited him saw this, he spoke to himself saying, This man, if he were a prophet, would know who and what manner of woman this is who is touching him, for she is a sinner." And Jesus answered and said unto him, Simon, I have something to say to you. So he said, Teacher, say it. There was a certain creditor who had two debtors. One owed 500 denarii and the other 50. When they had nothing with which to repay, he freely forgave them both. Tell me, therefore, which of them will love him more? Simon answered and said, I suppose the one whom he forgave more. And he said to him, you have rightly judged. Then he turned to the woman and said to Simon, do you see this woman? I entered your house and you gave me no water for my feet, but she has washed my feet with her tears and wiped them with the hair of her head. 
You gave me no kiss, but this woman has not ceased to kiss my feet since, I, since the time I came in. You did not anoint my head with oil, but this woman has, woman has anointed my feet with fragrant oil. Therefore I say to you, her sins, which are many, are forgiven, for she loves much. But to whom little is forgiven, the same loves less. Then he said to her, your sins are forgiven. And those who sat at the table with him began to say to themselves, who is this who even forgives sins? Then he said to the woman, your faith, your faith has saved you. Go in peace. Yes. Now, in contrast, Luke speaks of the house of Simon the Pharisee rather than the house of Simon the leper. In Luke chapter 7, verse 1, and also in verse 11, it appears that this event occurred about a year before the crucifixion and around the area of Galilee, not Bethany. So let's examine some of the other differences. First of all, this woman is not named, but was a known sinner from the city, which means she's most likely a prostitute. Secondly, she came with tears, bowing at Jesus' feet, realizing her sins were many. Her tears were enough to wash his feet. She herself was a broken vessel. She wiped his feet with her hair and kissed his feet and anointed his feet with perfume from an alabaster box. Next, we see that Simon the Pharisee criticizes Jesus as a prophet for seemingly not knowing what kind of woman this was and for allowing this woman to touch him. Even Simon has no understanding of who Jesus truly is. Next, we see that Jesus then shares the parable of the two debtors, both forgiven for their debts by their creditor. However, one owed ten times more than the other. Jesus is making the point that to whom much is forgiven, there is much more love. Then Jesus says, <clears throat> Jesus proves his point by showing Simon his failures. First, there was Simon's failure to provide water to wash the feet of Jesus when he came into his home, which was a common courtesy, usually done by a house slave. But it was up to the master to make sure the water was available. Secondly, Simon's failure to greet him with a kiss. Again, a very common thing to do. And then thirdly, Simon's failure to anoint Jesus' head. Whereas the woman was anointing his feet with the perfumed oil. Jesus then forgives the woman her sins. She was bound and broken by the weight of her many sins. And yet it's her faith in Jesus that brings her to his feet in worship. Next we see that the other guest had no idea who Jesus was, that he was the Messiah. They were stumbling over the fact that he was forgiving their sins or her sins. And then there is Jesus points to the woman's work as proof to Simon of her faith. And he makes it clear in verse 50, though, that it is her faith, not her works, that actually saved her. When he said to her, thy faith has saved thee, go in peace. These differences indicate to me that these are two separate and very different 
occasions. And the two women that are involved came to Jesus for very different reasons. Mary likely was worshiping him because he had raised her brother from the dead. Whereas this woman from the city who was a known sinner had come because of the weight of her sin in her own life. The alabaster box. Next slide. Is a costly stone found in Israel. It's a hard stone. It resembles white marble. It's referred to as one of the precious stones used in the decoration of Solomon's temple in 1 Chronicles chapter 29. In the Song of Solomon, it's mentioned there where the beloved man is described as having legs like alabaster columns or pillars of marble, depending on the translation you're reading. So the container the two women used to carry the perfume was itself very precious. And it was used to keep the contents very pure, and often it was sealed with wax to to keep the, the lid on tight, to prevent the perfume from escaping. Mary breaks open her box, and we see that when she does, more than likely the box spilled all the perfume out at the feet of Jesus and filled the house with its fragrance. The two stories, in my mind, beg the question, what is Jesus worth to each of us? For each of these women, he was worthy probably the most valuable thing they had. To Judas, he was worth 30 pieces of silver. To the woman who was the sinner, she was worshiping at his feet while the men in the room were questioning who Jesus thought he was, that he would forgive her sin. Someone has said that worship is the act of sacrificially giving something that is most precious to the giver. We call worship coming and singing praise and worship like we did this morning. It's a great time of worship. But at the same time, it didn't cost us much. I wonder how many of us have really ever really worshipped Jesus. You see, worship has a cost involved. There's sacrifice that comes with it. So I ask you today to consider, if you were to bring a gift, as each of these two women did, an act of worship to your Savior, what would be in your alabaster box? What could you offer that could fill the heavenly sanctuary with such a fragrance? I find it interesting that neither of these women cared about what anybody else thought. Their focus was on Jesus and their desire to worship him. Recently, as a missionary, you know, I've traveled... 40-some countries around the world. Never thought I was ever going to do this. I was a school teacher. 
that God called into the ministry. It was not my choice, it was his. I heard him speak to me and say, I want you to do this. It took me a year to surrender because I just couldn't see it. I was sitting in a church service when a young man was being ordained into the ministry and God spoke to me and said, I want you to do this. I had a wife and two small kids and debts to pay. I said, how can I do this, Lord? I heard God speak to me. I knew. I said, you know, Lord, I don't want to be a missionary. I've got two little kids. I don't see myself being an evangelist either. I can't sing, so I can't lead worship. And a pastor has to love people, and I don't really love people. So... <laughs> I said, God, you got the wrong guy. You need to look at somebody else. That was almost 40 years ago. Now I look back and I say, God, I'm so thankful that you got me to a place where I finally said, yes, I'll do what you asked me to do. Because he's taken me places and given me opportunities to do things I never thought would be possible. God is only looking for vessels that are willing to do what he asked them to do. He will supply. I could stand here and preach for several hours just telling you story after story of how God's provided. At the end of this message, I'm going to share with you opportunity to help us build two churches. I actually was prepared to come and ask you to help me finish paying for a three-ton flatbed truck that we wanted to buy so that we could get building materials to six churches we've already paid for but can't get the materials to the places where we're building the churches because the building supply companies in Malawi don't deliver. And the delivery companies, they charge an arm and a leg. And plus, they don't even want to go where we're working because there's no roads in some of these places. So the only thing we could do is buy our own truck so we can deliver our own materials. $16,000. I had raised 12 of it. I was going to ask you to help me raise the rest. And one of my friends called me Friday and said, Rev C, I want to finish paying for the truck. What's the number? <laughs> I had to go look at the number to find exactly what it was. I called him back and I said, it's 36.90. He says, I can do it. You can come pick up the check. Well, actually, he didn't say that. He said, I'm not sure how I'm going to get the check to you. I know where this guy lives. He's only two miles from me. I said, look, I'll be there in 10 minutes. <laughs> <laughs> he, had the truck, he had the check ready. All right, back to my message. Recently, I've encountered... Two people that I want to share their stories with you about, and then I'm going to challenge you to help us with the churches. Both of these situations are fellow believers who did not look at their lack and say, I don't have anything to give or offer. But they looked at what God had already provided. And you're going to see what God did. The first is a pastor I met in Mozambique. Now, Mozambique is a country that believes there is no God. Excuse me. 
They teach their people there is no God and that pastors only want your money. So people are very reluctant to give anything and they're reluctant to even go to church because they don't believe there's a God to start with. But I met a man there who's a pastor who God did a real work in his heart and he wanted help. And his name's Pastor Samuel. This is me with him. I'm the guy on the right. <laughs> and uh, he, started a, he started a prayer meeting in his home, rented home. And they quickly outgrew that. And they needed someplace else to have service, but there was no place to go. And so he offered the only thing that he had, and that was the little bit of land in front of the house that he was renting. So let's go to the next slide. This was their church when I met him. It's nothing but poles stuck in the ground and plastic garbage bags stretched from pole to pole. Let's go to the next slide. These people came and sat in the dirt to hear the gospel. How many of you would go sit in the dirt to hear the gospel? We all like our church with our air conditioning and our nice soft chairs. Every comfort, every bell and whistle that you can imagine. Most people around the world don't have it this way. Most of us stay home when the weather's too cold or it rains. not in other places. Let's go to the next slide. His church kept growing. In Malawi, Mozambique's right next door to Malawi. In Malawi, we can build a 30 by 60 fire brick building with a sheet metal roof and a cement floor for about $8,000. I normally raise 10,000 so that I can actually go and see the church once it's built and preach their first service and dedicate the building. So I knew Pastor Samuel's church was growing, so I said, look, Pastor Samuel, I think I can raise the money to help you build your church. So we did. And uh, I sent him a message, and I said, I've got the money. I said, how do I get it to you? And I was going to send him the $8,000, and we'd send him plans for the building, so he had everything he needed. A couple weeks later, he sent me back an email, and he says, Rev C, he says, I really appreciate your offer. But he says, Rev C, the way our church is growing, he says, I just don't believe that building's going to be big enough, even if we do multiple services. And so I said, all right, let me see what I can do. And he's got between 800 and 1,000 people now. And naturally, the 60 by 30 wasn't going to do it, so... We helped him get the footers in. You saw, if you went back a slide, can you go back a slide? You can see part of the wall is up, and they put together this temporary roof. We've now paid a contractor to come in and put up a permanent roof, and that was another $20,000 to get that done. The walls are still not up. They still do not have a cement floor, but they're at a point now where at least they can have services. And 
God is doing miracles. They are seeing people set free from all kinds of demonic possessions. It's just God is just doing miracle after miracle in front of him. And he's believing that God is going to use this church in Tete, Mozambique, to become a lighthouse for nations all around Mozambique. So please pray with us. I'm believing for this to happen too. But this is Pastor Samuel. You see, Jesus values what we do from our hearts for him. It's not a waste, as some of the disciples thought, to pour the ointment, the expensive ointment on the Savior. A life dedicated to serving God is the greatest use of your time and resource. Using your earthly possessions for the work of the Lord to advance the kingdom of God is the best investment that you can make. I don't give, I invest. Jesus promised us that there would be rewards for our giving that we do on earth in heaven. That's an investment. You're investing here for what you're going to have throughout eternity. If you don't invest much here, you're not going to have much throughout eternity compared to others. We are not all going to shine with the same brightest brightness in heaven. Just like we don't all shine with the same brightness here on earth. But to whom much is given, much is also required. It's God's principle. I'm just the messenger here. But I have proved these principles in my own life. I used to go to church and give $5 on Sunday, thinking I was doing my part, until my wife pointed out to me that there were some scriptures that talked about tithing. Tithing? What's that? 10%. 10%? That's a lot of money. We got bills to pay. She says, okay, that's what God's word says. Just leave it there. Then God began to touch my heart. It's one scripture where he says you can test him. It's the only scripture where it says you can test him. I said, okay, Lord, I'll give you one month. For one month, I'll tithe. I don't know how I'm going to do it, but for one month, I'll tithe. We'll see what you do. Now, I'm off my message, so don't worry about where I'm at. First week was okay, no problem. Second week, a little closer. Third week, I'm wondering if I'm going to make the fourth week. Fourth week, I get a phone call from a friend. I'm living in Fort Wayne. He says, Rev C, or he says, Dick. He says, Dick, he says, "Uh, what are you doing after school? I said, nothing. He says, "Uh, are you interested in a part-time job? I said, well, maybe. He says, what is it? He says, well, I oversee some rental units. And he says, I need someone that will help me oversee the rental units. I have two buildings. Each of them have four units in them. I need someone that will oversee those, those eight units. So what do I have to do? And he says, well, if there's a problem, go look at it. See if you can take care of it. If you can't, then call someone to do it. I said, okay, that's not too hard. He says, somebody moves out, you go inspect the apartment, make sure it's okay. If there's anything that needs to be done, then if you can do it, do it. If you can't, then find someone to do it. 
Okay. What does it pay? He says, we give you one of the apartments free of rent plus utilities. I said, can I see the apartment? He said, yes. So my wife and I loaded up. We went over and took a look. It was better than where we were living. And it was going to be free. I said, yes, we'll take the job. And it suddenly dawned on me. God had more than met my tithe. I've been a tither and a giver ever since. The tithe belongs to God. It's not yours to start with. You haven't given God anything until you do something beyond the tithe. It's quiet in here. I better move on. (laughs) Okay. You might say, I have no valuables. Mary had an alabaster box. I have very little. Jesus tells us to use whatever we have and to be faithful in the least. Jesus put it this way. She hath done what she could. Pastor Samuel used his front yard, but when he gave it to God, it was all that was needed to advance God's kingdom and to move him further down the road. The second example I encountered is a lady on the island of Mindanao in the Philippines. Let's go to that. Okay, it's... She lives up here in this very corner of the island of Mindanao, right on the coast. Let's go to the next slide. How many would like to have a nice beach home right there? Uh Uh-huh. And uh, there's no roads to this village. She was the only Christian in her village. No roads to this village, so she determined that they needed a church. And so she went around asking if there was land available. Nobody would sell land to build a church. So what is she going to do? It's a 40-minute ride in one of these canoes, an outrigger canoe, to get there from where she lives. Let's go to the next slide. This is her, Alienata, and the young man next to her is Pastor Romeo, Uh, She's a single woman, and he's a single young man who graduated from our Bible school, and we made him the pastor of the church. They're standing in her front yard. Next slide. Isn't that a million-dollar view? (laughs) Wow. So what does she decide to do? She decides to donate the land in front of her church, in front of her house, for us to build a church. Let's go to the next slide. Now, this building on your right is her home. The building in front of her home is the church. The front of her house is this dark hallway right here. And there's only three feet from the door of her house to the wall of the church. So when you step out of her house, you're looking at a block wall. How many of you, if you had beachfront property, would give up your view and allow a church to be built three feet from your front door so that you would look at a block wall so that the village could hear the gospel? Sacrifice and worship 
go together. <clears throat> Let's go to the next slide. That's looking back at her house from the ocean. What you're looking at is the church. You can't even see her house. Let's go to the next slide. This is looking at the ocean from inside the church. Now I want to show you what took place on that first Sunday because I preached that dedication service. Next slide, please. The village heard the gospel. They had a pig roast. You know what happens when you have food at a church service? Everybody comes. I'm sure that when Alienata made the decision to give up her front yard so that a church could be built, that there were people that thought she was crazy. And there were probably people that complained. They didn't want it to happen. But she didn't care. She only cared about serving her Lord and providing the best she had so that he could have it to do what he wanted to do. There will be people in the kingdom of God because of her sacrifice that would probably not have been there. The Lord deserves our best. In Genesis 22, God asked Abraham to offer his son Isaac. Abraham was a rich man. Materially, he had everything you could ask for. God didn't ask for his material wealth. God pointed to the one thing that was most precious to Abraham, that was his son, and asked him to give it. And Abraham showed God that there was nothing between him and his Savior, not even his son. And God blessed him as a result. The widow gave all she had, her two mites. And Jesus made mention of her sacrifice in Mark chapter 12. Let me encourage you to give your best to God. Not what you don't need. Give your best to God. He keeps very good books and very good records of what we do. And he knows our heart. One man once said, he is no fool who gives what he cannot keep to gain what he cannot lose. And I think those words are very true. Jesus said that when he returns, his reward will be with him. And I believe he's coming very soon. Some of us have very little time to do something that's going to be meaningful for eternity. So I ask, what would be in your alabaster box? Now let me challenge you to help us with these two churches. The first one, go to the next slide please is in the Democratic Republic of Congo. The pastor's name is, is Seth Muninwa. Let's go ahead. This is his family. He lives in Kalemi Village in Uvira District of the Democratic Republic of Congo. He and the other pastor I'm going to talk about 
are both CTC, Christian Training Center graduates from our Bible school program. They're ministering to Muslims and to the Wambuti pygmies. This is a pygmy area. He has a congregation of 65 very poor people. And he's the director of our CTC program. Let's go to the next, next slide. This is where they want to have the church. This is the property that they have. More than likely, that property was probably given to them by whoever the chief is of that area for them to build a church. Let's go to the next slide. Women and children, how much, how much do they want this church? Women and children have been finding rocks and carrying them to the building site so that they then can be broken down into little pieces to mix with cement. Let's go. There's some of the pile of rocks that they've managed to find and carry. Next slide. And this is the church they're using right now. I want to build them a 30 by 60 fired brick building with a cement floor and a sheet metal roof. It'll be the best building anywhere around. They'll be using it for all kinds of things, but all to God's glory. Let's go to the next one. This is just across the border. You can see the Democratic Republic of Congo there. It's just across the border. It's Mwanza, Tanzania. Uh, pastor's name, let's go to the next picture. This is Pastor Zephaniah Mabuba. And this is in Manzwana, Tanzania. And he lives in Muhandu Village. Again, he's a CTC graduate. He was one of the first graduates from Tanzania. He's the director of our CTC program, and they just graduated two months ago, or last month, it was last month, they just graduated 17 graduates and are now enrolling new students. He ministers to mostly Muslims and native Tanzanians. They have about 50 people in their congregation, very poor and mostly uneducated. Let's go to the next slide. They've been able to get, with outside help, most of the walls up. This is a 70 by 30 building. <clears throat> okay, next slide. This is the inside. The floor, the main floor is not cemented yet, just the altar is. Next slide. This is one of their services. Next slide. These two churches together I can put up for $14,000. Finish this one out, and this, in finishing this one out, we'll get a whole new sheet metal roof because the sheet metal they've got, most of it's rusted and got holes in it. So we'll put up a new truss system, a new sheet metal roof, we'll cement the floor, and probably put a couple restrooms in because there are no restrooms. So that's the need. And I'm asking you, what's in your alabaster box that you can help us with? The church is starting something very new this week, and that is that everything that comes in over the church budget for this week is going to be given to this ministry. When I come, in fact, Pastor Adam Deal emailed me and said, Rev C, what do you charge for a stipend when you come and preach? I wrote him back and I said, Adam, I don't charge. I don't even come for myself. I come to present a project. I'm only coming to raise money for something that I see God wanting to do and we need help to do it.
And so I'm asking you to help. Anything you do over and above the church budget for this week is going to come and help us build these churches. Every bit of the money you give will go to help build the church. None of it goes to help support my family. This church, I'm one of your supported missionaries. What this church gives to me helps support my family. So I'm not here to ask you for my family. I'm here to ask you for God's kingdom's sake. Anytime you send me money for a project, that's where it goes. If I need anything for our admin cost, which again does not help me, but if I need money to run the ministry, then I will take from 5 to 7% out of an offering if we need the money. Otherwise, it all goes to the field. Most of the time, it all goes to the field. Let me pray. Father, I thank you for the privilege that I have to share this word today. I thank you, Lord, for your faithfulness. I know, Lord, you're going to provide for these churches somehow. And I'm asking you, Lord, bless these people that are here. Use them mightily for your glory, Lord. Give us all opportunities to give and to sow. Help us to sow as an investment in our eternity, Lord. An investment in your kingdom. So that others might come to know you as we know you. And Lord, help your truth to be on our lips everywhere we go. That we can share you with others. Help us to get beyond our own insecurities, our own selfishness, our own weaknesses, Lord where we're even afraid to talk about others, about you to others. Help us to become evangelists in our hearts, Lord, and in our words. Put your words in our hearts and in our mouths so that you can be glorified and magnified everywhere we go. Make us missionaries today, Lord. In Jesus' name do I ask it. And we give you all the praise and honor and glory for doing so because you alone deserve it. Amen and amen.